Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And you guys, today our guest is once again the incredible Dr. Tova Klein. She was one of our first interviews in season one of Mom Brain, and we loved her so much. And you guys loved her so much because she is a a national treasure and a treasure trove of information about how to handle toddlers, how to help toddlers thrive, how to help toddlers, um, you know, grow into the little wonderful people that they come out as and just, you know, become the best versions of themselves. She is the director of the Barnard College Center for Toddler Development and a psychology professor at Barnard College at Columbia University. And she um, today is going to talk with us uh, what it's like to parent young kids through quarantine, through through pandemic. She's got some great ideas about what the silver linings here might be. And I think in, in usual fashion, she just does a lot to calm the nerves and make you feel like there is real, there's real action we can be taking to better ourselves and better our families. And also some real step back moments where we can just like take a breather and give ourselves a break for a second as well. So I know you guys are going to love this conversation. So a lot of it is this kind of a gift of like, do a little less, step back a little bit more and and it's all going to be okay. So I think you guys are going to feel a lot better after this episode. Here's Tova. Mom Hi, I'm Dr. Tova Klein. I am the director of the Barnard College Center for Toddler Development and a professor in psychology. And I'm the author of um, a book, How Toddlers Thrive. You can follow me on Facebook. Um, I've been posting a lot, particularly in this era, at uh, Facebook, How Toddlers Thrive. I have a website, howtoddlersthrive.com. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Tova, T-O-V-A-H, Klein, K-L-E-I-N. Um, and I am reviving my newsletter to get information out to help parents through this very unprecedented and challenging moment in our lives. And, and you can sign up for that on my website. Oh, first of all, how are you holding up? I am holding up. <laughs> it's a lot to do, but everybody's healthy and I'm just grateful every day for that. I know that's, that definitely is number one. It gets me through absolutely every day, the single day. I realize how much I'm like in my head, I'm complaining about all these things and I just stop and I'm like, everybody is healthy. We have everything that we need. We have food. We have a house. We are okay. Exactly. You have to stay grounded every single day. Especially with a bunch of little kids or if people even have one little kid, it it can be a lot. It is a lot. Definitely, speaking for myself, it is a lot in the house right now. I mean, I have my one-year-old, my uh, three-year-old, my four-year-old, and my six-year-old. And I'm homeschooling the three, the four, and the six-year-old, all in different ways with different assignments. Sometimes it's nursery rhymes with the six-year-old. She's learning math um, and English, and she goes to school in Spanish, so that as well. Um, but it's it's really intense because I'm running around these three different curriculum all day. Um, and I find that they don't listen to me. They're like, okay, mommy. I mean, I'm not their teacher. So they're like, okay, whatever. They're home. So they're distracted or this one's doing this activity and that one wants to be doing that activity. Um, you know, uh, we've been hearing a little bit about some regression that kids might have. If you see there's a bed behind me, 
right here. Our bedroom is right next to my office, which is where I am in right now. And Carmen has moved a little mattress in here and has been sleeping in here every single night. Um, and But it's just been interesting to see that even though the kids are not at a place where they're vocalizing that they're, they're concerned about coronavirus, there's definitely behavioral things that make me think that it is impacting their, I want to say maybe their mental health, not in a, a way that makes me particularly concerned, but in a way where it's making it more challenging to be a mom. Look, every child feels that life has changed, just like every adult feels it. You might be a highly stressed family, you might be a highly comfortable family, but no matter what, our lives have changed and the children feel that. Maybe mommy and daddy used to go to work and now they're at home or they went to school or childcare and now they don't go. And it's like, where is that place that I used to go to? Um, there's a lot of talk in front of children, which I highly recommend people cut down on, but using words like coronavirus, pandemic, isolation, you know, these are all new words and they're really scary to young children. They don't know what they mean. And so they're not only hearing and their life has sort of been switched on its head, but they're also wondering like, hey, what's going on? And then the other piece of this is young children absorb our emotions, our tone, the tension around them. They're like sponges, right? They just soak it in and they kind of, they count on the adults to be the ones to say, hey, here's what's going on at their level. And letting them know that they're safe, if, if they are, hopefully they are, reassuring them that this is very, very, very different than things were before, but we're all together and we're going to be okay. That reassurance is what grounds children. And so all of the changes have to be recognized for them. You know, it might be fun to be at home for some children. Um, I've heard plenty of stories of children who really don't like school, particularly elementary school children, middle school children, and they're thrilled to not be going. That's great. <laughs> But it's still totally different to be home if you have siblings with your brothers and sisters to not be going out to the playground or not being you know, able to ride your bike around your neighborhood or whatever you did before is definitely different now. Plus, all your stores are closed. If going shopping with mommy or daddy was part of your routine, nobody's taking their children, hopefully, into a grocery store. You're going alone. So that has all changed, and children need some explanation for it and some grounding from the adults. What, if anything, do you think for like a five or six-year-old um, and up is an appropriate level of conversation or clarification to give them? It's a really important question. So the, the five and six-year-olds, the young elementary school children, are able to absorb even more and to understand a little bit of it. So they need a really clear explanation. Um, I always recommend the parents first go and say, you know, honey, what is it that you know? What do you know about the coronavirus? just to get a sense of where they are, because there's a lot of misconceptions, right? So you kind of clear that up. Like, no, this is not something that can come in through the telephone. A lot of children have asked that. Can you get it through the computer? Um, one eight-year-old said to his, his uh, parent, is it going to come through my window, right? So they really don't know, because we talk about coronavirus as if it's this real living thing, you know, in the way that we talk about the tooth fairy or Santa Claus practically, right? So, so they get scared. 
So I would first ascertain what they know. And, and there may be things that are, you know, truthful. There may be things that are scary. There may just, they might not know a lot. But to really say to them, you know, coronavirus is a big, big word, something we hadn't really heard before, but it actually is another word for what we normally call a cold or the flu. You might recall a time that they were sick and mm -hmm. you went to the doctor and you got medicine and they got better. You say, well, it's kind of like that, except it's a little bit different, uh, which is some people can get very, very sick if they get the coronavirus, not usually children, not usually parents. So again, some reassurance. And then you say to them, but, you know, people who are a little bit older or certain kinds of people could get this very badly. And so everybody, not just our family, not just our friends, not just our school, everybody is working really hard to make sure that this virus doesn't get to too many people. And we do that by washing our hands every day. And all of this staying home, staying home is because viruses can be spread. And so it demystifies it a little without mm -hmm. scaring them. You need both. You need to face the truth but in a way that's not scary. Children can't wake up every day scared. And then, and then you, you're demystifying what's going on. And then they say, well, what's a pandemic? You know, and you explain, well, that's something that happens when so many people have this virus. Um, and it's actually, this is kind of funny. It's happening here. Name the cities where you have friends or relatives. It's happening even far away, like in Spain or China, so that they can hear that this is something that we're in together in the world and we're all working on the same thing which is to keep the virus from spreading. It also empowers them a bit. You know, I'm washing my hands with a purpose now, or I'm, I'm staying home, which we're all getting a little tired of, I think. Um, certainly children are, and I think adults equally. But there's a purpose to it, and there's a reason we have to do it. And it demystifies it a little bit. Uh, and I think the other important thing to put in there is that, you know, most people who are getting the coronavirus are getting better. Mm -hmm. And you probably know, I mean, it's hard not to be in a big city, certainly New York, where, where we are, or you know, listeners all over the country or world, um, many of us know people have gotten sick and better. And I think that's an important thing to say, too. Do you remember when our friend so-and-so, and she had to stay home? And well, you know what? She's all better now. That's the great thing. And most people get better from this. Everyone listening right now should go back and listen to Tova's first uh, conversation with us, which was in season one of Mom Brain, and it was far and away like a most beloved episode. Everyone <laughs> learned so much, and you are such a wealth of information for toddlers who, in the best of times, can be quite the like enigma. <laughs> Let alone now. Yeah, I know. It's just been up. I'm, I'm hopeful that there is actually some upside, that like maybe there's some actual benefit to Absolutely. kids from having all this time with family. Um, and I'd love to. I'd love just for you to just quickly talk a little bit about why you chose Toddlertopia, like the world of toddlers as your love and passion. <laughs> and then if you do see some silver lining benefit to this time, I'd love to hear it because I think we could all use a little, a little lift right now too. Yeah. How did I find Toddlertopia? I really think it probably found me would be a better way. I'm not sure that, you know, most people in the right mind are attracted to this age, um, <laughs> except for very small <laughs> doses, right? Because, you know, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, you know, they're adorable. They do wonderful things. Um, but it's probably something that came to me and, and has really been kind of a lifelong passion, which is it's just an age of unbelievable openness, open-mindedness, curiosity, um, just a joy that, you know, unfortunately most of us lose as we get older. Um, but, you know, emotions are high and emotions are low and emotions are intense. But there is a really kind of wondrous 
piece to young children and they are open-eyed and they're looking for both support for the adults to keep their world feeling okay for them. And they'll try practically anything, right? Toddlers can do what things that you would think were impossible. They can climb places, they can build things, they get into mischief in ways that you can't even make up until they do it, right? So all of that has been very interesting to me. And then as a psychology person, you know, both on the science side and on the practice side, the idea that if you really help see who this particular child is, because there's a tremendous range of development, particularly at the younger ages, you know, let's say before eight, you get a big spread of what's, you know, what we'd consider normal or typical. So I think the adult role is to really figure out who's this child at this moment Can I see them for who they are and then support them? And that's kind of the world I live in. How can I help the adults, the parents, teachers, whoever else is interacting with children, see them for who they are, not who we wish they were. And that's always a challenge because young children march to their own drums Mm -hmm. um, in their own ways. Some are easier, some are harder varies by the day, of course. Um, So that's really what got me into the world. You know, for me to watch children playing and creating their own world and kind of having their own ideas and then trying to implement them and figure them out is really filled with joy. And then, you know, doing the research on such an important age is always exciting. And then teaching, you know, I teach college students, I work with parents, I kind of have the gamut of how do I interpret this toddler world, which can be quite bizarre. How do I interpret it to other people um, is really kind of the puzzle that I sit in. And this particular period has just given me a new puzzle, which is, you know, from the, I'm at Barnard College, right? I run a toddler program there, very well-established program. And from the moment that the people at Barnard called me on a Sunday and said, listen, we think we're closing tomorrow. Don't say anything yet, but we think we're closing. And I was like, what? Because Barnard and Columbia University both closed very early. Mm-hmm. which meant we had to close. So I thought it was temporary. I thought, oh, all right, well, a week or two, right? You know, I'll meet with my wonderful teaching team and we'll figure this out. But um, quickly, the question for me became, how do we connect to very young children if we can't be with them? And, you know, I, I just wrote this to the parents in my program. And I said, you know, five weeks ago, I would have wondered if you could connect virtually. I, I'm not a big fan of technology for young children. But I didn't have that luxury to say technology won't do it. I could only say, how are we going to connect to these children? Because my, my biggest worry was that they would think that the people who they saw, our children come twice a week, basically, the teachers, the other children, particularly the teachers and the adults who they're really attached to at this point in the year had mm-hmm. just disappeared. Mm-hmm. And that's really scary for young children. You know, it's not like an adult we can say like, look, I can't see my best friend or I can't see my older parents right now, but I can I can talk to them, I can do virtual video stuff with them. Young children count on relationships as their bedrock. And so knowing that people still exist and that there's some way to connect even if it's kind of flat like a screen is is really important and I have learned so much from the children and the families in the last month by putting together very quickly a virtual program with my entire staff. 
Have you found they're able to connect? Or do you find that your kids are? Yeah, I mean, I will say I'm shocked. And anybody who knows me or has read my work knows that I'm I'm saying keep those kids off of technology. Children learn in three dimensions. They learn in the real world. They learn by relating. They learn by knowing the important people in their lives love them no matter what they do. Yeah, so we kind of launched it. To say that we didn't know what we were doing is putting it mildly. We just launched it. And uh the first was um, our teachers put together a video, which was just a greeting to each child, you know, like, hi, Daphne, here we are, and we'll be seeing you soon. We didn't know when soon it was going to be. So they each got a video, just we wanted to say we're here. And then we launched our program the next week. And we have about 13 children in each of our groups because they, they come on different days. And we said, you know what? We don't know if they'll be able to do 10 minutes of this or 20 or 30. And the first session was 30 minutes. And I could just see the children were quiet, but they were all looking into that little screen. I was wondering what was going through their head. But they were, most were watching. Some were coming and going. Some were turning away. So you could see they were feeling like, this is not exactly what I want. But there was connection. And over the weeks, you can see the children's engagement go up. You can see their affect. You know, they're smiling more. They're trying to show you know, the teachers in particular, because they're two and three-year-olds, um, they're more related to the teachers probably still, uh, what, what they have or their toys. Um, when the teachers have made Play-Doh with them, they interact around it. They want to talk about what they made or what they're doing. And now the children are starting to relate to each other, which I have to say, I'm really surprised. I give the credit to the toddlers for teaching me this. They're asking, you know, who has what toy or this morning in the virtual Barnard Toddler Center, one of the children was hiding and um, she kind of put something over her face and another child started to say, she's hiding, she's hiding. And that child covered her face. So there's, they're learning to interact this way. It's not ideal by anyone's standard, but we have to do something to say to the children, we're still here and you still have these people and these relationships still exist. That's why you do it with grandparents who live far away and right now might live a block away, but you can't see them. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a way to stay connected. And they, they still have the desire to connect. It's been interesting watching your children. Like my daughter, she has playdates on FaceTime and I was very anti, you know, they barely would watch iPad. They barely, I mean, I grew up with no TV and now I put, I put FaceTime on her iPad. She has to ask before using it. And she will be playing with dolls or whatever. And like her, one of her friends on the other side is going to be doing the same thing. And they just, they have that desire to continue to connect exactly. and play. And even if they're not just, you know, with the pad like this, they're actually playing with the 3D objects while the one on the other side is doing exactly the same thing. Children don't connect verbally so much, right? So we're sitting here, three adults talking about children. We're all parents. We connect verbally. Children don't do that. And so this idea of setting up a virtual play date, if your child's open to it, and some children are not, and I want every listener to know that's fine too. Nothing wrong with your child. But that you give it a, somewhat of a structure, which is by saying, oh, do you, you know, what toy would you like to bring? Or maybe you're, you and your friend both like Lego and you both have Lego. So you structure it a little bit and then the parent can, you know, back off from the play date at that point. Which gets into Daphne, you asked this question about are there silver linings? I think there are many silver linings mm -hmm. that will come out of this. Now, I want to put the caveat that for parents listening, there's a lot of stress right now, too. You know, that can be a lot. financial <laughs> stress, <laughs> that can be stress about, you know, your future, your, your parents or elderly relatives, you know, whatever it is. There's a lot of stress right now. 
But that said, um, a number of things can come out of this. As parents are able to institute kind of the new normal, so what do children need? They need routine more than anything. And by the way, so do adults. As new routines come about, children start to adjust to them. Oh, I get up every morning, I still get dressed. Right? It might be fun to be in pajamas that first week that we were all off and kind of like, well, uh-oh, what's happening? But now we're in this for a longer haul maybe than we thought. It's not forever, but so, you know, getting up, getting dressed, having breakfast, and then having an activity. Activity could be, for some children, online school. That could be playing. That could be doing what we might consider chores, but children love. You know, I'm going to help you water the plants, and then I'm going to put food in the dog's dish. You know, maybe if you're lucky enough to have an outside yard and can go to the garden, you're going to do something in the garden. So some kind of rhythm to the day not only reestablishes stability for children, but it's teaching them flexibility, right? There was a scary thing that happened. All of a sudden, school was closed. I was home. Mommy, daddy, everybody's home. And we, we, we're getting through this. And now we have a new normal. So I think flexibility can come out of this resilience. You know, in the end, when we get to that and we reopen and we go back to somewhat of our old lives, you know, that, that idea that we did adjust and we are okay and it was hard um, is really the basis of resilience right? It's not tough love. It really is. I was, I had parents who cared for me, loved me, nurtured me, and we got through it together. Um, and then I think some of the other silver linings are that parents are doing things with their children that you wouldn't have done before, right? If you're somebody who'd never really cooked meals with your child, I'm hearing from lots of parents, like it's actually fun to cook with children. Messy, takes longer. Um, for the slightly older children, they're doing some meal planning. Right? I, I keep hearing about elementary school children saying, can I pick a recipe, you know, with the parents' help? Um, can I help plan dinner? Um, you know, doing chores around the house, right? Laundry with a three-year-old is not easy, but, you know, it is learning, <laughs> by the way, for your children. They're with you. They're sorting. They're, um, so there's a lot of that um, going on. I, I run some virtual parent groups. And the other day, one of the parents, you have to have headphones on because I don't want children hearing what other parents are saying or what the parents are talking about. But um, her like seven or eight-year-old came in and said, can I fold the laundry with you? <laughs> they folded laundry for about 10 minutes together through the parent group. And she said, you know, we've never done this before, but he's very into that time with me. So I think there will be, and there are silver linings. You know, there's lots of disappointments. There's lots of um, negative feelings that need to be handled and talked about. Um, but you can also turn it around, right? Um, you know, you might miss, your child might be missing the seven-year-old birthday party that she thought she was going to have, but you could still do a really fun, quarantined, virtual birthday party in a new way. And I, you know, again, I keep hearing all kinds of stories about the sort of replacements for birthday parties that children are enjoying. May not have been their first choice, but they're enjoying it. So all of that, I think, has positives. And I don't think it's Pollyanna-ish. Um, I think the better parents get to know their children and what makes them tick and, you know, how they can support them through this, the better for the children. Um, and the final piece I'll say about that is I think it's forcing parents to back off a bit from their children, which can only be positive in, in the sense that if you have a routine and you're giving your children a little more leeway, you know, maybe for their playtime, they want to build forts with pillows on the couch. You can back off and let them do that. Right, so it's giving children more room to have their own ideas, to problem solve, to play, 
and uh, and siblings to work it out, mm-hmm. right? To be together, to bond that relationship. Okay, but can we talk about that too? Yes. Because the siblings thing, and I know, Alaria, I'm, I'm sure you guys are doing this as well, because the way that kids play with their peers is very different than the way they play with their um, siblings, yep. especially when they have been with their siblings 20 hours of yeah. every day yeah. <laughs> for six weeks. I mean, my, my kids play really well together, especially the oldest two who are like super, super close. But it's, um, it is just, it's overwhelming. And my, and I like, I see them getting to that point where, you know, all those memes that are about, about relationships Mm -hmm. that just go haywire when you're in the, in the cell together, how do you, what do you recommend to scaffold those relationships and make them positive? Because I definitely think that it's brought them so much closer to like they are, they were best friends and they're even more so now, but I want to, I want to limit and eliminate some of the strain that I feel is is happening for them as well. It's a really great question. I mean, I will put the caveat on it that for people who have access to the outdoors, whether that's your yard or if you're in the city and you can go to a park, um, no playgrounds in the city, but um, to get children outside relieves some of that tension, you know, just running around a backyard. Um, going for a walk around the block or a scooter around the block, whatever you can do, children need outdoor time every day. And that plays into Mm -hmm. the sibling piece because siblings are the ones who are cooped up together. So on the one hand, I think there can be some really positive bonding coming with the siblings and older children helping younger children, younger children, you know, playing more with their older siblings and getting attention from them because they're not at school all the time and not being run around from place to place. Like, I think if we take something from this, it may really be children need less running around from place to place. Um, but you're right, siblings play very differently than peers. And part of it is that's a relationship for life, right? This brother, this sister, they're yours for life and you're bonded for life. But you're also bonded in all the colors, right? There's love, there's hate, there's jealousy, there's highs, there's lows. And so, you know, in my book, I actually call it the siblings, the lab for, for later. It's like a life lab. Because you learn in this very bonded relationship where you love each other that you can work out the hardest feelings. And what Mm -hmm. that means is children say cruel things to each other and the older they get, the crueler it can get. But they tend to then separate. And I think that's your question, Daphne, like where do you sort of mediate this? For the most part, you can back off and let them work it out. Siblings almost always work it out. You know, you're listening. You're like, do I go in? Do I go in? And next thing you know, they're playing happily. You're like, what just happened? Um, But there are (laughs) times, I think, when you're cooped up as much as we're cooped up, that you have to give them a break. But you always have to go in down the middle. And what I mean by that is no parent can be an impartial judge with their children. Like you can't say, you know, you're being mean to her or you're not letting her have a turn. As soon as you take a child's side and they're your children, the other one's jealous. Plus, you don't know what happened before. You don't know why they're in this. But if you go in very neutral and you say, like, this isn't working or mommy can't handle this right now, like that's enough. And you can sort of break it up and say, you know what, take a break or we're going to do something else. They usually go, they usually argue with you. No, we want to be together. You know, I always say that for many, many years, I have three children. And I used to say to them when I got to that point, like enough. And I was worried that I would actually be screaming at a level that my neighbors would hear. I would just say to them, take that another room. And they would. They would stop whatever massive fighting they were doing. They'd be like, whoa, mommy, you know, we've pushed mommy. And they would run into the other room. Then they'd start their shenanigans again. And then Mm -hmm. they'd be playing. 
because it was like, I didn't blame anyone. I just basically said, take it out of here where I can't handle it. As a parent, you have to decide. You might want to say to your children, you know what? This is just too much right now. Everybody needs a break. Or you come up with a new activity, you know, like, all right, you know what? We're going to get ready to set the table for dinner. That might get them to settle down. I've been with my my three and my four-year-olds who are the ones that, because they're so close in age and they're both boys and they're both just wild, um, they are the ones that fight, I think, the most and physically, like where you really have to get in between them. And what I did yesterday, which I found worked, I sat them down and they screamed and cried and they were really mad. And I sat down with them. And then I had them each tell the other one, not me, because I was like, well, but he did this. I said, Tay, is Rafa, say to Leo what you, what, what you didn't like. And then say what you also did wrong. So both of them had to do this. And it took a while. But I have to keep on reminding myself that we have all the time in the world right now. We're not going anywhere. We have, I mean, other than appointments like this, we don't really have anything to do. And we got, and then we got to the point of the solution. This was the first time I was able to do this with them. What's the solution? And then we're not very good at it, but I feel like planting mm-hmm. the seed of them be learning to start being like, I didn't like this. And I'm going to listen while they say, I didn't like this. Take responsibility. This is what I did wrong. This is what I did wrong. And then how can we do it better the next time? And they all wanted to know that I still love them and I still like them. They're always making sure that no matter how mad I am or frustrated or whatever I do, that I always love them and like them throughout it. But I find that I need help from them. I'm starting to say that to them a lot. Like, I need help from you because this is a lot on mommy too. And I never want them to grow any faster than they need to. But at the same time, I do want them to learn that we work as a unit. And we have to all be respectful and we have to all be peaceful and we have to all treat each other well because we all have to benefit. And and that mommy is also human and she can only handle a certain amount. My basic um, sort of philosophy to families is the more adult, the more that the parents back off of their sibling relationships, the better. This is an unusual time, of course. But in general, I would say when we have more than one child, our goal, if you think about it, is that they'll, they'll have each other for life. And so in a way, what you want is them bonded, right? We have each other, the children. And it's sort of, you know, mommy and daddy on one side and the children on the other side. And that's that bond for life. You know, that's that bond where they look at each other and they go, oh, mommy's really mad right now. So rather than being upset when our children do that, we should say, oh my gosh, they really have each other. That means they have each other's back. Or sometimes they defend each other. Mommy, don't yell at him, you know you shouldn't be mad at her, you know, whatever it is says they've got each other's back and you want them to go out in the world knowing that they have each other. Right. So in general, I think you want to, you know, give them enough support that they can work it out, but not overly do it. And right now is really, really hard because people are cooped up in, you know, some in less rooms than others, right? Not all of us have the luxury of, you know, big spaces. Some people have bigger spaces, but no matter what, no matter where you're living, children are going to be on top of each other. And they're not going to say, oh yeah, let me go up to the next floor and be by myself. No four-year-old usually does that, right? So you might need to give them a little bit more support, but not be hard on them and not be hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and I think as, as adults, you know, we can have very high expectation of ourselves. And I think right now is a time to let go of some of those and say, do I have a daily rhythm, a basic daily rhythm, not a strict structure? You know, again, like getting back to what I was saying before, you know, we get up, we get dressed eventually, we have breakfast, we have an activity, 
you know, so that there's a rhythm of the day. That's what regulates children and helps them feel safe and kind of get used to the new normal. So it's it's the same principles that they need when we're not in a, a shutdown that they need right now. Um, but for parents to not overly expect of themselves, I mean, there's no way that parents can be teachers and workers and full-time caregivers and planning meals when you're not sure which food you have access to right now. But to say, you know, how can I lighten up? Because if you lighten up, then the children lighten up on themselves as well. And they also feel like, mommy's okay. Probably more than anything, they need to know the parents are okay. So that you're taking care of yourself. Whether, you know, if that's getting up 15 minutes before your first child wakes up and having just that little protected time, great. You know, if you have the luxury of getting out for a short walk by yourself, great. But you really do have to take care of yourself in order to really be there for the children. That's probably the most important piece of right now. Going off of that, I, I mean, I for, for those parents who feel that the children are not at least externally saying that we are saying to them, this coronavirus is out there, but you don't have to worry. Mommy and daddy are fine. Everybody, you're fine. Everybody who you care about is fine. But we are living differently right now. Um, what about, I still notice, and I know from what I've been hearing from a lot of other people, that the kids are in, for lack of a better word, acting out, acting mm-hmm. differently, a being more difficult. And regardless of how much you say, okay, I'm going to be more lenient and ah, it doesn't really matter. We'll clean up that spill and we'll do that. Like I find myself at the end of the day, like I'm like, oh my God, you know, I mean, really at the, at the end of the day, I hardly ever really yell at my kids and I yelled at them last night and they were, I mean, the baby, the two-year-old gave almost two, almost two-year-old gave my four-year-old a black eye and then my four-year-old tried to like dunk them under the water. I mean, it was just like complete mayhem. I'm like pulling them out. They're all wet. I'm afraid that they're going to slip and I'm like, mom, you can't handle this anymore. I mean, how can we I, I never want to lose my temper with the kids. And of course it's going to happen sometimes, but I find that they're not listening as well. They're doing things, you know, I'll, I'll say to them, come back, come back, come back. We know we have some area around our house, so they're able to run around. And if they're running over to a place where I consider to be dangerous, but I'm with these ones over here and they're just not listening. How, how can, can you do sit your kids down and you're like, you know, we're not listening. I literally made them all raise their hand this morning and say, I solemnly swear to listen to my mommy, to be peaceful. I mean, it was the cutest thing in the world. Even the little one was like, blah, 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 like trying to say everything. But like, it's, it's like, how do you try to work on these issues? You know, it goes back to, this is not a free-for-all. So I don't want anyone listening to think, oh, this is a free-for-all. It's just the opposite of that. So it gets back to this very, you know, you have to always go back to what do children need to feel safe any time of day or year or month And then you're going to increase that for right now, right? So knowing that the adults have control of this, because no, we don't have control of the pandemic or when we're going to get outside again or anything like that, but we have hopefully some ability to put in new routines in our household. So when you have that rhythm of the day, I know it sounds a little bit like a broken record, but children need to know we're going to get through this day just like we get through every day. And mommy or daddy are leading the way. And they're going to let go of some things too. But that's not a free-for-all, right? Children feel safest when there's limits, there's rules, and there's tons of compassion. And what needs to be up right now is the compassion. And what I mean by that is children are struggling. Parents are very, very stressed. I would really say to myself, 
as a parent, how much am I reading the news? How much am I listening to the news? How much am I texting my friends like crazy? Oh, I just read this article and do you know this is going to happen? And then you're texting five different people about it. Mm-hmm. Cut down on that to cut down on your own stress so that you can be calmer because your children need you to be calm as best you can. So really reflect on your own kind of stress levels because that's what the children are responding to. Is there regression? Yes. Regression is a way that children communicate. They say, wow, life feels different. I'm worried or I'm stressed. What will get them through? What's the silver lining? Going back to what you were asking earlier, the silver lining is when you help children through stress, they actually get better able to handle stress in the long run. Right. Right. It's not that we can't take it all away from them, but the more that you can do that, you can have a rhythm and not overexpect. I'll give you an example. The mom I know has six-year-old twins. I think first graders, maybe they're seven. And they were in two separate classes. So they had two separate set of assignments every day online and the mom's Stop. working at home. <laughs> and God. so, you know, she had asked for some advice and, you know, have them in the same class, have them in the same class. Um, and so anyhow, this year they got split up and she said, you know, your advice was to keep them in the same class. So she said to the school, now that we're online, can I put them in the same class? She said it has changed her life, right? There's one set of assignments, nobody's jealous. And then she can decide how much of the assignments she wants to do, period. All non-middle. So that now there's a better rhythm. And she said, everybody has kind of fallen into place. Yeah, they're struggling. We're all struggling, but they're just happier. She, she said, it's because of me. I'm calmer. So anything you can do that puts some rhythm, some regularity, children want those touch points of things that are the same. They still want their same bedtime routine. Even if you moved in with relatives you know, and you're not in your same home, they want a similar bedtime. They want those stories. If you eat your meals sitting around a table, hopefully you do, you know, for breakfast, dinner, that you're still sitting around and doing that, even if you're not eating the same things every day. All of that continuity settles children down. And the message from the adults is we're going to be okay. And what you keep out from them is how uncertain we are, right? That's Mm -hmm. the thing that's rattling all of us. None of us deal well with uncertainty. Um, So, you know, when your eight-year-old says to you, well, when is this going to be over? Rather than giving them all of our nervousness, you say, you know, I can tell you it'll be over at some point. And unfortunately, we don't know exactly when. And that's, yeah, that's a little bit hard. And then maybe you talk to them about what are they thinking about they would love to do that they can't do right now. And maybe you make a list of the things that they're remembering from before and that they're, you know, hoping to do soon gives them a grasp of that timeline in in a very concrete way. Um, I think recounting, whether it's school activities or things you were doing before we were shut in, um, is a really nice exercise for children and they love doing it. And, you know, maybe you look at photos or, you know, make lists of those things that they're missing, puts it out there for them. Like, it's okay to miss this and one day we'll get back to it. I remember something you said in our first conversation that I feel like I've repeated a number of times um, since, which is that it's not contrary to what we all think and what I think society sometimes tells us. It's actually not the parent's job to make children happy. Yes. <laughs> and I, you. I think about it all the time because it was, um, and you, you say it in an extremely loving and generous <laughs> right. way. It's not like it's your job to make them unhappy. Right. But, but, you know, I, you were talking about how kids know how to make themselves mm-hmm. happy. They're, they're born with that, um, you know, impulse, instinct, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
I, I'd love if you could just talk, like rehash that statement yeah. in the age of quarantine, because <laughs> yeah. I think it's a little novel now. Thank you. It's such a good point. Um, I've been giving talks like to corporations and stuff, and I, ha- I still have that slide in there, you know, for like, it is not your job to make your child happy. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really this idea that we've, I think, been sold as consumers that, you know, it's our job to keep our children happy and make them happy, and they should never be upset when... In fact, you know, certainly what the science and what, you know, all good practitioners across fields would tell you is it's the parent's role to help children with the most difficult feelings. So, you know, that's anger in particular, frustration, sadness, disappointment. There's a lot of disappointment right now of what they're not able to do or what they can't have. And how do you help them really with those angry, frustrated feelings? Because when you help children, again, under the most normal circumstances, learn to handle really hard feelings, then they can get back up again and they go, I can handle life. You know, wow, that was really frustrating. I didn't like it. I was mad at my friend, but you know what? We came back to school the next day and we played again. All of that is literally training them in these are hard emotions and either there's a parent there to comfort me when it's hard or there's a parent to commiserate or to stand by me. And that's needed more than ever right now, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I often hear parents say like, they should just be happy that we've got a safe home and a place, you know, that we're going to be okay and we've got food. Yeah, but at the end of the day, they're really upset that they're not seeing their friends or they're really upset that, you know, they can't go to their favorite playground. And you have to recognize that with them. You have to say, yeah, this is really, really hard. It's hard for all of us, but you know what? I'm going to still take care of you, even if you're mad at me, even if you hate me right now, because child hate is not like, you know, the adult world. It's two-year-old or five-year-old, right? It comes and then it's gone. Um, And at the end of the day, what they need to know is like those days that you've had battles with them, those control battles, they've melted down, you've melted down, whatever it is, they need you to come back to them, not asking for their forgiveness, but to say, that was really hard and you were upset and mommy was upset, but we're okay now. And I always love you even when we're this upset, but it has to be a true accepting of the child's feelings. I mean, I find often parents will say, no, 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 I tell her it's okay to be upset, but then she doesn't get over it. It's like, you know what? For some children, it takes a while to get over it. And as adults, we have to be able to stand by that and say, I can't take this personally. And what's harder than anything is not taking it personally when when you're with your children 24-7. And if they're in your bed at night, you're really with them 24-7. But to say they're really, really little people, even if they're eight years old, certainly it's easier to see in a two or three-year-old. These are very little people struggling, worried, absorbing our stress. I need to be their rock. And then it gets back to how do I take care of myself in small ways, if, if, if it can't be big ways right now, so that I can really say to them, you're okay and I'm okay. Going off of that, um, I'm sure that other parents out there have had a child pack their bags and say that they're leaving forever. Um, I have one of those, but he's still here. He's, he had to come home from college. Oh, so yeah, that word. <laughs> well, my six-year-old did that to me yesterday. Um, and what do you, like when they, I, I think it's sort of like I need space from mm-hmm. what is going on right now. And I feel like that's probably happening more now than, than ever. And I, you know, I was 
Like, I, I remember doing that when I was little. I think everybody I know has a story of like, I'm leaving. I hate this family. I'm leaving. <laughs> but what are you supposed to do with that? Do you, do you yeah. just let them go? Do you try to discuss it with them? Do you just like yeah. let it go? Do you be like, oh, I feel, seals. it seems yeah. like you needed space. This is actually, I think, a good, you know, compliment to the earlier question about, you know, why isn't it a parent's job to make their child happy all the time? This is an example of a child not being happy, right? I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I don't like it here. I don't like what's going on. So you recognize it. I get that you're upset. I get that you're really, 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 really upset. And I'm going to watch you while you go, because even if you ran away, I'd be right here waiting for you. In other words, you recognize the anger, the frustration, whatever it is, the jealousy over having younger siblings or whatever it is. And then you say, but I'm still here for you. And you watch them, you let them know, I'm going to watch. And they say, don't watch me. I'm going to leave forever. You're never going to see me again. And you say, really? Okay, but I'm right here. Even if it's forever, I'm right here. So that they get the message, they can be upset, but you're actually not going to let them go very far. What, how can we piece apart the complicated nature that is the toddler and slightly older or even older than that and be like, you know, like, for example, my one-year-old, he threw, he gets really angry sometimes and chucks things at people. And like, I'm like, I don't want to be like, that's him. And then he can be super sweet. Okay, so is that him? Or, you know, then he does this. Is that him? Who are, how do you see who your child is? You know, I, I think a lot of it is saying to yourself, Well, probably the best mantra that any parent can have is this too shall pass because most challenging behaviors, I would say 98.2% of challenging behaviors pass, right? (laughs) Roughly, exactly. Um, You know, children throw, children bite, children kick, children wake up at night. And now they're all happening like in, you know, just 10 times more than ever because of the stress. But to say at any given moment, it's my job to figure out a way to support this child. You know, for some children, when they're in a very bitey phase, you give them something to bite and you can kind of nip it in the bud. You're like, you know, we don't bite people, but here you can bite this chewy thing and you get it in there as many times as you can. And other children, that doesn't work right away. And so you say, you know what? I've learned that for this child, if I just back off, give her extra love through that period, she just settles down. And all of that comes in learning in time. You know, we experience our children in time and you know that they're so different, um, but then we put labels on them, right? So the, probably the biggest label is gender. People go, oh, it's because he's a boy. It's because she's a girl. And I always say, boy, I've dealt with thousands of toddlers and that probably is the least defining characteristic, right? My biters are girls and boys. My kickers are girls and boys, right? But we get to know our children over time. And the best that you can do is take a deep breath and step back sometimes and say, what really helps this child? And sometimes, you know, some children need to be picked up and hugged and held when they're upset. And other children really need you to be far from them, but to say, I'm right here, but they don't want to be touched. You know, that's an example of two children both getting upset, but the parent learning over time. And a lot of it is trial and error. I know what this child needs when they're upset. I think I know what this child needs when they're upset. So it's kind of coming out of your own head and putting your own expectations aside because often we say things like, you know, my first one was never like that. And I say, yeah, well, you know what? Your second one is. Or I never did that as a child. It's like, yeah, but that child's not you. So can you really step back and say, who is this child? And they're not an awful person, but they're telling me something with these challenging 
behaviors, and I've got to figure out a way to handle it. And every child needs something different. That's the trick of having more than one child. Or even with one. I mean, one can throw you too if they've got a very particular uh, personality that doesn't mesh with the parent. It's always an interaction between the parent and the child, always. Um, and the children need the parent more than anything, right? The parent who loves them, nurtures them, gets it right summer most of the time, but really believes in that child, the child gets that message. Mommy's here for me. Daddy will take care of me. And that's what settles them down ultimately. I'm going to be okay no matter what, because I got these people here. That's that's really good advice. I know one of my biggest fears is, you know, you meet those people, those, these, those adults, and you're like, and then I see my kids, and I'm like, that's somebody who never grew out of this particular mm-hmm. phase. And I'm like, I want to encourage them to grow out through and out in throughout of these phases and learn something from them so they can be like, okay, I've checked that off the list. I have that in my toolbox. I know how to problem solve with it. And I can move on to the next thing. But then you just, I mean, it's such a dance of like, you don't know how much to back off, to go in, yeah, to be like, I'm here. Do you need a hug? You know what I would say? It's always a balance. Um, and when we're stuck at home, it's even more of a balance. Um, I have to give a plug for Melinda Wenner Moyer has a piece in the New York Times Parenting this week. I'm quoted in it and some other experts are quoted in it. But it's just on this issue of discipline, you know, is this the time to be punishing? And I'm quoted and they're saying something, you know, about, no, this is the time to understand what the behaviors are about and to be more compassionate, but don't give up your limits, right? It's not a free for, it's not like, oh, go to bed whenever you want or sure, dump all the dog food out. No, but, but you have to be kind, that much kinder about it as you're saying, how do I help this child? But if you can take this time, which we're all stuck with, and say, you know, let me find the joy in it every day. If I can find some joy somewhere in it, you know, maybe that was baking cookies today. You know, maybe that was sitting by as she built this incredible block structure. And then she looked at me and said, look what I made. And all you have to do is smile. You know, if you can find some joy in every day with your child, that's great. And if at the end of the day, everybody's healthy and they go to sleep eventually and they've had a couple meals, you've done great. So don't be hard on yourselves is really my message. I feel like that's going to all make us feel a lot better. Thank you. And then we also love to uh, ask our guests and for you again, what your favorite thing is. No, for parents, I would say have a mantra. The simplest one is this too shall pass. Olga, well, thank you so much. This was so great. Thank you for having me. Stay safe. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me back and stay well. Okay, so that was Tova Klein. Um, wow, I'm just sitting here thinking and processing and, and meditating on all the more questions I have for her. But, you know, the, the thing that I really leave with uh, going back to the whole conversation around it not being our job to make our kids happy, I, I really feel like we all need to hear that over and over and over again, especially right now, because I sit here many days, most days, um, you know, waking up in the morning trying to figure out how am I, how am I going to fill my kids' days with as many happy memories as possible to try to crowd out the inevitable feeling that their routine has changed, their rhythm has changed, they don't leave for school, they don't leave and go to the grocery store with me, they don't, they don't do any of the things that normally sort of set up their rhythm for, you know, the first eight hours of the day. And then the afternoon, we try to keep somewhat similar to what it used to look like as well. But, um, but yeah, just like a little gentler on yourself, a little, a little confidence in your children that they 
that they not only will be okay, but that, and that they rely on you for much bigger things than putting structure on their toys or, you know, or whatever, but they rely on you to be the person they trust to, to create stability, to create foundation, to create a sense of, of calm and control, even when we don't feel that. And as long as we can create that somewhere, and as long as we don't have to share all of our anxiety and stress on them, if there, if that means taking a break from the normal rigor you would control your house with, it's worth it. Yeah. But I, and I think on top of that, it's also under, you know, I always want to listen to somebody and, and hear them say these things and then just be like, and my stress will all go away. And my kids will never fight again. If I'm just nicer and I just let go a little more and I get a little more sleep, then they will not fight ever. You know what I mean? And, and that's just not the case. And there's so much, you know, that just is going to, um, surprise us. And we're just going to have to, to go with that. And now it's time for our favorite things. Daphne, have you ever put your child on a toilet with an iPad? No. Well, I used to all the time. I'd be like, this is your iPad time. And I would, I actually used it to help them like potty train a little bit. So I put a stop to that a while ago. Now we have lots of books there, but we have these really fun books that are really, you know, just super educational and the kids get really excited. And at least, um, my kids don't get bored of, of, uh, reading them. They're called smart kids books. Obviously, you know, my, my three younger children cannot read, but they're obsessed with these books. And I just find that they're like endless entertainment. I mean, they've been in those bathrooms for like months and they still get excited. <laughs> and my kids are quite, you know, quite regular. They, they eat lots of vegetables, so they're quite regular. So they get to read them many times a day. So fun. So building off of that, because I do think we all are looking for extra ways to entertain our kids and there, there will be moments in the day where they need to entertain themselves, but you still need them just to like sit still and relax for a second. And we are having more movie nights than we've had ever before. But, you know, sometimes I want them to be doing something where it's just like letting their little brains wander and relax and, and still sort of stay put. We love. It's the Disney's Storyteller series, and they have all like the classic Disney films Ooh. told in um told as a story format, but then they play some of the music. So like if the kids have seen the movies or read the books or whatever, there's like moments that spark in them, I'm sure, the visual of what they saw in the movies. And if they haven't seen the movies, like my kids hadn't seen Aladdin until last week, but they would listen to the Aladdin version of this and and they loved it and it made them love the movie more too. It just, it's really fun. They're like 15 minutes long, I want to say. I'm definitely going to check that out. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends. Message your friends. We're all in this together. We need each other more now than I feel like ever just to keep ourselves sane. To I just feel like we're not alone in this. We're all experiencing, literally, the whole world is experiencing something extremely, extremely similar. So we, we got this. We got this together. Follow us on Instagram. Email us mombrainpod at gmail.com. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Stay well, guys. Bye. This is Mombrain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mombrain is a Gallery Media Group original production.